Do, uh, do keep the Romans passage open uh, and uh, Romans uh, 5. Uh, one of the great things about, you know, a weekend away is uh, you get a chance to do something a little bit different to what I might normally do on a Sunday. Um, so uh, I'm yeah, really excited to kind of be here. This is, uh, as I said uh, last night for those that were here, this is kind of material that I've kind of been mulling over over a number of years um, as been reflecting on in my own kind of pastoral experience and people and thinking kind of, uh, what is it about those that have really grasped God's love for them? That kind of, it, it, that, that for Jesus is, is clearly, um, you know, meaningful for them in a, in a way that then kind of transforms their, their whole outlook in life, uh, particularly in kind of hard times. And um, I, and I guess, you know, as we, we're going to look at these sessions over the kind of coming week, over the coming days, uh, we're going to be just looking at some just different aspects, uh, not not kind of looking through long chunks, but just kind of teasing out a few things uh, that the Bible teaches us about God's love, and then and then just helping us really think about what they mean for us uh, as we as we live for Jesus in different situations. Um, and we had Ephesians three uh, read to us as well because. Uh, it, it, one of the dangers about uh, a you know talks like this uh, is that we, you know, we, we we kind of hear this sort of teaching and but but we kind of go away thinking, yeah, but 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 really, <laughs> but really, can 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 this really change me? Well, I, I you know I've maybe going Christian life for a number of years. Can can God really change me? And I want to say, let's set our expectations high this weekend, please. Because we have a God who has the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead uh, will work in you to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That same power is at work in you if you're a Christian. uh, And I don't want you to doubt that. I I want you to uh, be encouraged to avail yourself on God and, and, and cry out with Paul to say, look, Lord, please I, I just to know a, a more of more of who you are to to long for Jesus to delight in Him, uh, and guess what? God God has power to do that. I, I don't know. Uh, one thing's about coming again on a weekend away. Um, I, I, I at one level I don't know you. Um, so I've, I've been praying for Trinity uh, Islington for since what two thousand and six when you were first looking at it, Jeremy. I mean, like you know that. You know, we've been praying for you, and and there are some people here. I've, as, as Jeremy has shared with with me and uh, our co uh, prayer triplet guy. Um, yeah, things, but you kind of like. So some of you might want to kind of swap your name badges with somebody else. So so when I go, ah, oh, so you're, it'd be like, ah. <laughs> um, but uh, it is. It is great, and um, we pray for you. But I, one of them I don't know. I, I, I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your struggles. I, I'm, I'm praying. Well, I'm praying that as, as we open up this word together, I'm, I'm kind of partly what I'm doing is is I, I'm preaching this to myself. But as I'm preaching it to myself, I'm, I'm trusting that actually the same sort of struggles that I have, I, I probably guess you have too. That, that hopefully this will be for us. There may be some things from some of the talks that might resonate more with you than other parts. And, 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 and whatever that is, I'm, my prayer is that, that God will be at work in us this weekend. Um, 
you know, we're not doing an academic exercise here this weekend. You know, we're not talking about, you know, the, you know some people have interests in all sorts of unique things, you know, whether it's a, a particular type of steam engine or the, you know, the, the vicarious participation tool used in the works of Jane Austen. And you, people have interest in things here. What, what we're talking about here isn't academic. It is relational. It is about Jesus. Let me ask this question as we go through this. It is Jesus to you a bright living reality, more present and real to you than any outward object seen? Uh, is he more precious to you, or more nearer to you, more dear to you than even your closest earthly tie? Is Jesus that to you? Is, is Jesus kind of the, what, what, what shapes your, your daily life from, from the beginning to the end of each day? Uh, is, is Jesus there, not in the background of your life, but in the foreground? Uh, is he there in your thoughts? Uh, is he first place, not second or third? Uh, is he everything to you? That's, that's the question I'm thinking about. Because I, I want us to see that as we engage with the love of God as it's revealed to us uh, in the Bible... Uh, we can know and experience that love in a deeper reality that changes us. Um, I, I think churches like Trinity Islington and Trinity Buxton have been shaped by, uh, by over the last sort of 30 years or maybe longer, of, of, of a train of thought that is really quite suspicious about engaging our emotions and affections for Jesus. We, are, we don't anchor our faith uh, in how we feel, but in what we know to be fact. And, and of course, that is true, but the, the, I think the danger for us in our present time is that then we've just kind of neglected how we feel about the Lord Jesus Christ, how our experience of him in our daily lives. So when, when trouble and difficulties come and when we're stretched, and we, we find that actually, well, it is a lot harder to keep going. And many of our brothers and sisters from the past, previous generations, have really engaged with this that is quite helpful. Uh, I, was, um, I was given by my, my, my brother's a graphic designer and he, he, um, he, he does book covers and typesetting for books. I, I suspect uh, probably most of you here have got one of his books on your bookshelves because um, he, he does quite a lot now. But uh, he gave me kind of uh, some the writings of John Owen uh, but it kind of in an abridged and simplified form. And I was just like, you kind of know me too, too well, my, my dear brother. Um, and it was just great because uh, I, it, it, it enabled me to kind of dip in in a fresh way to, to some of the works of, uh, of some of these guys. Uh, I was really struck by what John Owen wrote. It was about 400 years ago uh, in his work, The Communion with God. Uh, because it, it really spoke to me at the time. He said, he said these words, like, few can carry up their hearts and minds to this height by faith, as to rest their souls in the love of the Father. So many, they, they live below it in the, the troublesome region of hopes and fears and storms and clouds. And I thought, well, do you know what, that's, I think that's all for me, isn't it? I, I'm living, I've just sort of been buffeted around by all that was going on from one kind of, one, one issue going on at church to the next thing going on in family life and then into my own personal life. And, and to, to kind of know that, that, that I am loved 
by my father and can rest in that. I am persuaded, you know, been as ordained at the same time as Jeremy. So we are uh, 20 years in full-time ministry this year. Okay, uh, it's a bit of a milestone for both of us. And I'm, I am persuaded uh, of this, that what most Christians need, more above us, to, to really help them in their Christian life to progress and to grow, is a clearer and more vivid vision of the character of God and particularly of the love of God. And John Owen continues, he says, he says, uh, how few Christians have a real experience of this privilege to kind of know God's love, uh, of holding intimate communion with God in love. But with what anxious and doubtful thoughts do they look upon him to be kind of settled in God? Don't, don't you long for that? I, I do. And as I, as I read this, I'm thinking, yeah, but OK, that's great for you, John, you kind of big theologian. Uh, but how? How do I change this? And, and the more he went on to explain is how, how this kind of works out. And, and as simple as this, he's taking from uh, the Apostle John. We love God only because he has first loved us. In, in other words, uh, as we want to grow in love for God, in love for Jesus, we do so as we know and experience his love for us first. He said these striking words. He says, for as much as we see the love of God, so much shall we delight in him and no more. In other words, the, 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 the more fuller, deeper and real knowledge and experience of God's love for us will then fuel our love for him in return. And the more we know of his love, the more we will love him. And if that is true then can you see why this is so important? Uh, friends, uh, nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more than us being indifferent to the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Uh, it, it, as we reflect on, as we open the scriptures uh, that declares God's infinite love towards us in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Uh, as Jeremy's reminded from uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 5, uh, not just trickling his love into our hearts, he pours it into our hearts by his Spirit. And that love uh, in, in our hearts transforms us from the inside out that we might grow in deeper communion, in love uh, for God. That is the catalyst of change in our lives. That, that, our, that our hearts that are often so distracted, often indifferent to God's love, melt and be consumed and grow in that love. How do we do that? Well, again, we come uh, back to the scriptures as he reveals himself to us, as we re prayerfully reflect on them in, in, in wise application, as we chew on it, as we meditate, as we pray about it. Uh, in our reading, Romans, uh, Romans 5, 1132 1, 1, in, the, in, in the Bibles, there's, there's a box over on the side if you haven't got one or you can, you can find it on your phone, I guess. Um, 
he begins verse, in verse 6. He says, you see, just at the right time. Those two words there, you see, are, are, are linking with what he's just said. Uh, and uh, in verses 1 to 5, he, he's, he's telling the, the Romans uh, the extraordinary confidence that we can have that we are accepted and loved by God. We're held by him. Why? Because we're justified by faith. God's verdict on our lives has been declared to us now. And as it's been declared to us in our present lives, we know that we have peace with God. He doesn't reject us because we've been justified. We're to be confident in that. We are loved and accepted, not enemies of God under his judgment, but his people. And that is the work of God. Uh, His spirit, therefore, testifies that verse five because his love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And Paul then goes on in verses uh, 6 to 11 to tell us what that love is that has been poured into our hearts. Now, I guess most of us here could have a stab at uh, trying to define what love is. But I think most of us actually might struggle with that to try to define it in words. How do you put love into words in a way that is adequate? I guess uh, love is one of those things that's a lot easier to experience than to define. But here lies the problem. Uh, the problem that Paul wants to address. You see, we might, we might, as we think about love, we think of it in the context of our experience of all sorts of different loves that we experience in this life. We, we might think about a love that we might have for or of a parent or of a friend, love of and for a spouse or, or a child, uh, love even of a football team, go Wednesday, uh, love of chocolate, love of a piece of music, a view. Okay? We, we, we think of love in these sorts of ways. Love isn't an alien concept to us. But, but when Paul starts talking about the love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The the problem is, the danger is, is is that we're going to think we know what he means by this love. Uh, Verse 6, you see, just at the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, it gives this wonderful description of the sort of exceptional love that we might possibly experience so verse seven very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die and that that love there in verse seven is is the sort of love that we might kind of see or hear of that we would say as people that is extraordinary love the sort of love that we would admire, that we might even aspire to. Uh, I, I came across a tragic story of a nightmare honeymoon in Australia a few years ago. It's two new, newlyweds. Uh, they, they loved uh, scuba diving, so they, they, went, um, they went diving off the coast of Australia. And the, the trip went horribly wrong. Uh, the bereaved wife told the story of how her husband had been killed by a shark. She, she told her story through tears. She said, uh, all I can remember is, is turning around and seeing 
a white pointer with its jaws open coming for me. And I thought it was all over. Uh, But just before the shark took me, she said, my husband pushed me out the way and placed himself between me and the shark. The shark attacked him and now he's gone forever. You see, that, that, that sort of love, the love that the husband had for his wife is, is verse 7. You see, he, he loved his wife. Uh, she was dear to him, uh, the, the good person that he was willing to die. He was even da- daring to die for her heroic love, a sacrificial, self-giving love. And we know about that sort of love. We, we, we hear about it every now and then. Yes, it is, it is rare. But we recognise that as, as, a, as a, a great act of love. We might think of the, you know, a, a teacher who's killed. Uh, she shields her children from a gunman that's come into her school. And we're just, we're just blown away by that. We're moved by that sort of commitment, that love that someone might display for another. We, we recognise it on Remembrance Sunday, don't we? Where... Uh, we remember the extraordinary sacrifice of those who gave themselves for others, who gave their lives. And it's vital to see why Paul includes verse 7 as he's talking about this. Why, why does he need to mention this? You see, Paul gives this example in verse, of verse 7 of love as we might know love, the love that we might aspire to and honour and recognise and celebrate. Because in, my, in, in, in Paul's mind, he wants to contrast that with God's love. Because he wants to say God's love is not like even the best example of human love. Let me say that again. Paul contrasts it with God's love because it is not like that. What do I mean by that? Well, let's see what Paul says in verse 8. Here's the contrast. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As he, as he talks about God's love, uh, he's, he, he's pointing us to, to Jesus who came, laid down his life, not for the good person, but the ungodly, the sinners. Uh, not for his friends, but his enemies. Now, look, I've, I've been, been thinking about this. Uh, as I've been trying to, uh, I guess Jeremy's got a little file somewhere, maybe on his computer, of, uh, of stories of people who have given their lives for others. Because these, these, these illustrations are really helpful. But, but in, all, in all my kind of researching and collecting of stories, I've been thinking about this. I, I can't find an example of someone who willingly sacrificed themselves to save their enemy. The person that they were opposed to. Uh, my grandfather's cousin was um, a, a medic in World War one in the, in the Royal Army Medical Corps. He was an exceptionally brave um, uh, medic. I mean, exceptionally brave. Uh, he risked his life again and again. Uh, he came home from World War, uh, World War I as, as Yorkshire's most uh, decorated soldier, and he's still one of 
kind of Britain's most decorated soldiers. He, if you're collecting medals, he got the set, and some kind of multiple times. Okay, he, uh, he again and again uh, went in the aid of saving others. Okay, by the end of the war, he'd been seriously wounded seven times, blinded for six months, gassed twice, uh, as he kind of rescued and treated casualties of war. Uh, and for that, he kept collecting these medals. But I'm told uh, there was an occasion, it's quite extraordinary, when uh, he was, he was uh, and, and he came across an injured German soldier and started to treat him, that that German soldier came to and tried to bayonet him and kill him whilst he was being treated. Um, and my grandfather's cousin disarmed him, carried him back to the field station to be treated. When he got there, his commanding officer was livid. Kind of told him to send him, take him back where you found him. Now, now here's the thing, you see, for all his injuries, all his bravery, he wasn't given a medal for that. Why? Because he was the enemy. You don't risk your life the enemy. In fact, you could almost argue in some circumstances that would be considered Treason for a soldier, imagine it, imagine it for a moment, a soldier is, is shooting an a, you know, a enemy position and, and you know, kind of his, his, his colleague soldier throws himself of the gun, takes the bullet that was for that enemy position. Well, that would be treason, wouldn't it? it would, you, would not, you would be taken out. Of course you wouldn't do that. It's slightly different for, for, for a doctor, isn't it? I think in the field, but, but, but the point here is, so our point, kind of, this sort of makes verse 8 remarkable. We mustn't lose sight of it. Jesus willingly, in love, gave himself for his enemies, for the sinners. And the point that Paul is making is that we might think that this is the example of love, verse 7. But there is simply no love like this love. Let me, let me just say that Paul's big point here, we easily miss it. There is nothing that we can compare God's love to in this world. But the problem is, is that we think we know what love is. That's the problem. And this is, it's meant to astound us. When we read verse 8, we're meant to be kind of absolutely shocked, even scandalised, that God would love in this way. Hey, God's love is unlike any love you can know. Uh, look at the strength of the language that Paul uses to describe for those whom Christ died. Verse 6, he says, uh, when we were powerless, we were unable to do anything for ourselves. Again, verse 6, we are ungodly. Those who are rejecting God turned away from him and his love and his rule. And therefore, we were, verse 8, sinners. Verse 10, God's enemies. Now, Paul is, is wanting to remind us exactly who we are before God. Back in Romans chapter 1, you don't need to turn to it. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. But of course, you know, he spells out there how desperate the human situation is. Uh, verse Verse 18, chapter 1, he writes, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
And he's not talking there, is he, about dictators who start unjust wars or the murderers who kill children? No, this is willful humanity uh, in their rejection of God, in their rebellion against his rule. Uh, And friends, that is each of us. It's what the Bible calls sin. And Paul says that our sin makes us subject to God's wrath. Uh, On the last day, because of our sin, we should rightly face his condemnation according to our deeds. But as he goes through in in, in Romans, uh, he's telling the the whole story because God didn't leave it like that. Uh, His anger is dealt with. Well, how? Because Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, His wrath-bearing sacrifice on the cross He puts himself in the place of the ungodly and the wrath of God fell on him. Verse six, he just summarizes it, doesn't he? He says, Christ died for the ungodly. Through through Romans, that's that's the big story. You know, remember the the husband that put himself between uh, the shark and his wife. So the Lord Jesus puts himself between the wrath of God and sinners, uh, his people. And verse 9, Romans 5, makes that clear. Uh, Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And so just imagine for a moment, the person that's caused you the most grief in your life. Maybe someone at work who's walked all over you. Uh, that, That kid at school that just continually bullied you, called you names, the next door neighbour who's made your life a misery, the the person that robbed you of something that was really precious, dear to you, someone that's been repeatedly abusive towards you, uh, imagine being prepared to die for that person. It's unthinkable, isn't it? And that's what Jesus did for his enemies and not just died a human death, but died a wrath-bearing death for himself, for God. And again, not for the strong, but for the powerless, not for the the good, but the ungodly uh, enemies who are made friends. And that is what the God of heaven did. It is a love that is in a realm that is altogether different from the experience we can have in this life. Yes, we can, we can compare uh, human love with God's love, but it is so much more. Now, uh, this is the love that's been poured into our hearts. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I just want a, a couple of think, thoughts from that uh, that would be helpful for us just to be reflecting on. And that the first thing I want to see is, is this, is that, that the reason that God loves us, therefore, lies not in ourselves, but within God. And that's not how human love works, is it, largely? Normally, it is something lovely that grips us. A child. <laughs> the first time I held child in my, in my arm, my own, my own child, this sort, of, this sort of love comes, this child, it is, it is a lovely gift. An experience, we set our, our love on it because it is lovely to us. But we're not loved here because we were lovely in any way. In fact, the opposite. 
It's not like God has fallen in love with sinful humanity. He's become attracted to its personality in all its flaws. It's not like God sat in heaven thinking, oh, heaven would be empty without you. No, no, God doesn't love because of something within us, but from within himself. He doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. He loved us and so Jesus died for us. He loves you because that is what he is like. Uh, The God who is love and has loved within himself from all eternity, that love is graciously and undeservedly shared with people who least deserve it. Not because of me or anything about me, but because of him. Now, do you see the difference that makes? It frees me. Why? Because I'm loved with an unchanging love, a secure love, a love that is truly unconditional, a love that is unchanging because if God set his love on me when I was least lovely, then there is no stopping of that love, is there? A truly unconditional love. And that is the love that is poured into our hearts that we're drawn to know. And of course, secondly, this this then becomes electric to us when we really see and appreciate that we are the ones spoken about in verses 6 to, to, to 11. We are the powerless one. We are the ungodly. We are the sinner, the enemy of God. And when I really understand and embrace that, it transforms us, doesn't it? Again, uh, I give confidence in God. Uh, verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You know, wonderfully, this love kind of brings me from insecurity to a place of absolute security and confidence in him. How can I doubt God's love when he has given his son for me when I, at my worst, was God's enemy? but I'm reconciled to him, I'm brought back to him. Look, a big question for the weekend is, is this. Don't you want to be gripped by this love? Don't you want to be gripped by that love? Uh, let, let's turn to Ephesians 2, where uh, we also had read this morning. Uh, again, I'm not going to go through all these verses, but, but here Paul prays for the Ephesians 2 prayers, And they're both the same prayer. The first prayer in in, in verse uh, verse 17 uh, is that we will be strengthened to know that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And uh, and that dwelling idea there is, is, you know, isn't that, that from someone who wasn't there would now become there, that Jesus who isn't present becomes present, but that that dwelling would become a deeper, more real, more vivid dwelling in us. And Paul prays that, that we would do that. And, and, and then he prays the second prayer, which is, which is really just the, the same as the first one again. Uh, verse 18, that uh, we, sorry, halfway through verse 17, that we will be rooted and established in love, God's love, 
that we may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And again, when Paul says to know that love, it is, it is a deep knowledge of that love uh, that is relational, that is life transforming. And so we're not to be a people that, that know this love theoretically, but to be a people that might profess it with our lips because it has, it has changed our hearts They've been melted by this love. Our hearts that have been consumed by this love. And look, part of the reason why often we we fail to grasp the stunning, amazing reality of of this love, of uh, of God's grace poured out to us, is simply because we've not really appreciated that we are that sinner for whom God has loved we could, we could just think we're basically, we're, 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 we're not that bad a person. That our sin isn't really that bad. And therefore, God's love to me isn't really that significant. Why? Because I'm really quite lovable after all. And so I'm not all consumed and delighting in this love. Because it's no big deal for God to love us anyway. After all, isn't that what God's supposed to do? Isn't God supposed to love? That's just what he does. And in that case, we're just not stunned by it. We read verse 8 and we're not left flabbergasted and scandalised by God's love. And of course, at the other end of the spectrum, and funnily enough, we can find ourselves flip-flopping between the two. At the other end of the spectrum, we become so aware of our sin. So aware of our failure that we think a bit like David did in Psalm 51, that our sin is, is always before us. It's always before me. We, we find our failure crushing. We, we think that God must be so wearied by us, uh, so despairing. Uh, uh, we have this, this sin that is such a burden for us to bear. We, we can't move beyond it. There, there are things that we've done. We just can't recognise that God would really forgive And therefore, we never really grasp or appreciate God's love for me. And this, for some, can get worse as you go on in the Christian life. Why? Because uh, as as you go on, you become just more and more aware of your own failure. You become more sensitive in your own heart by the work of God's Spirit to to, to your sin of how far fall you short uh, of what you ought to be before God, what you could be. And you find yourself in the relationship with God just... It feels like you're just always saying sorry to God uh, and that God must be so fed up with me. And of course, for some, this can be compounded by uh, life's experiences all the more because, because we often live by sight and the things that we see and we know is to live by faith, trusting in God. Uh, and uh, but we hold on to the things before us. So we, we, we gauge God's love by our experiences. Day by day. Uh, the, what happens in life, we think, well, that is a measure of God's love for me. So when things are going well, we praise him and we delight in him. But as soon as things go bad, we think that God doesn't care. We think that God's punishing us or, or those around us. Why, why do we think like that? It's because we, we're gauging God's love by what happens to us in life. And so the obvious conclusion that we come to is that 
or God just doesn't love me. Not in the way that he loves other people. And of course, if, if you've experienced rejection by the hands of others, we can, we can really feel the pain of this, can't we? Uh, we, we, we can so easily put God into the mould of others who have failed us, who have abandoned us and disappointed us. And we think God's like that too. And Paul's praying in these verses that all Christians, all God's people, includes you and I, really know the love of Christ. To know that love, that God loves it, not, not just giving creedal assent to that love, as though, yeah, of course, we know that God is, is love. We know that. But, but, but to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It just, uh, you know, can imagine if someone asks you, kind of tell them what God's love means to you. And you just, you just simply don't have the words. You don't have the words to say, to describe what this love is. It's, it's beyond describing yeah, a love whose heights can never be scaled, a love whose depths can never be fathomed, whose, whose length can never be surpassed. Uh, are you just simply content with thinking, I know God loves me? That's why Paul prays, doesn't he? Prays that we would know this love, the love that's beyond this knowing. That is his prayer for us, that we should pray to him. Imagine the person you know, says, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, I know the ocean. Yeah, I know the ocean, all right. Know it well. When I was a kid, I went to the seaside. I even paddled in the ocean, I did. Yeah, yeah, I know the ocean, all right. There's an ocean depth to know and to swim in of the love of God that we know so little of. And so Paul prays for us, that for all God's people, that we may be able to grasp more of it. The, the problem is, is that we have too small a view of the love of God because we take our experience of love in this life and think that's what God's love is like. But Paul says there is nothing like this love. There is no love to compare it to. It is more glorious more wonderful, more life-changing than anything or anyone you could ever meet. Don't be settled with just a mediocre, semi-indifference to the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when we grasp this, it changes everything because Jesus comes for us a wonderful, passionate father, a loving saviour, one in whom we can trust and rely on, whose love will never wear thin, whose love will never be exhausted because it is a love unlike any other love. And therefore to pray the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 3 is an extraordinary prayer to pray. Not just to dip your toe in it, but to know it more, to be immersed and overwhelmed by God's love. The psalmist writes, Psalm 63, verse 3, he says, Because your love is better than life. Because your love is better than life. A love that says, look, I, I could just about stand the loss of anything in this world. 
my, 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 my husband, my wife of, of 50 years, the, uh, my, my job, my, my children might become estranged from me. My, I might lose my health. I might lose my mobility. I might you know, struggle with, with things that just I couldn't comprehend. I could just about stand the loss of anything, but not you, Jesus, not you. Your love is better than life. Let me go to the grave knowing that the one thing that I have that is most precious to me is the love of God. And that cannot be taken from me. To love him with that intensity. To say, that, look, there's no place that I would not go if you called me there. There's nothing that I wouldn't give up if, I, if, it, was, if it was asked of me. If I was offered the whole world I would refuse it if it would mean losing you. No, I, I, I've, as long as I've got you, Jesus, do you love him like that? Is he your inexpressible joy? The, the one who loves you so much, the one that will never abandon you, a love that will never forsake you, a love that will never give up on you, a love that will never abuse you or move on from you or fail you or lie to you or shame you. Or a love that will be the constant in your life, except that it will grow day by day more fully in your life. You know, meet those old saints that have trusted Jesus through their life and they know that they're in their final days or weeks. And they're such at peace. Have you met those guys? They, they, they hold no fear. Uh, sometimes their, their doctors can be astounded by, by them. They, they or sometimes just don't comprehend. But there they are. They're, why? Because they're so settled and secure in God's love to confidently know that when they die, they won't face condemnation. They won't face God's disapproval. They will face the embrace of their loving father who gave his son for them and they will experience the fullest measure of the love of God so that they will be fully alive and made whole. And that is what they're looking for because they've known and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ through their lives. Friends, don't you want to know that love? When we lower the love of God to the ordinary, it will just become cold in our hearts. And don't you, don't you want, as a, as a church family, to know this love amongst you? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great to say, you know, kind of, you know, it's, the love of God is so evident in your relationships as, as, as a church family, uh, in your prayer together, in your, in your worship, your hospitality, in your friendship, as, as you do life together. I, I don't know, have you got a 10-year plan? The churches love 10-year plans and all that kind of gubbins. Um, don't, you don't have one? Okay. Well, here's, here, how about here's, here's a vision for your church, for Trinity Islington. To be a church that so expresses the love of God for each other and for the world that, that, that anyone who was to visit you, anyone that was to know you, uh, would say, Trinity, Trinity, I, 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 I don't really know what they believe, but boy, does Jesus mean something to them. The, the way in which they live out their faith, the way in which they love one another, I, I, I've got no idea 
kind of what, what really they believe. But this I know, they love Jesus. Of course, if they were Christians and they knew their Bibles, they would be able to say that they were filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's, that's what they would say, because that's what God's love does amongst his people. Wouldn't that be great to be a part of that church? As a family, do you love him like that? See why Paul prays this prayer? Because I, I know to my shame that I don't love God like that. I know that. And if you come to Trinity in Buxton, you might see lots of great things about the church. But I know, I know that we don't love God like that. You see, that's why Paul's praying this. Okay? And, and we're to avail ourselves of the power of God to do this work by his Holy Spirit, uh, to, to bring more alive the love of God amongst his people to change us now and in all eternity, to know that love that surpasses knowledge. So will you pray that for each other this weekend? Will you do that? Will you pray that for me? Maybe you just couldn't imagine it. You couldn't imagine that God could do that. God would love me like this so unconditionally, so relentlessly. It just seems unreal. God, I just can't believe God would do that. Well, again, let me end with these words from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably all that we can ask or imagine. Friends, if, if we don't love God in this way, that the problem is not with him, it's with us. We lack the imagination, the, we lack the, the comprehension that God could do this work and he can. He continues to do more and measurably what we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's, let's make that prayer our prayer, shall we? Let me pray. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, you set your love upon us in our powerlessness, in our rebellion against you, in our, our willful ignorance and sinfulness, in our hard hearts. You, yet you loved us. You loved us in Jesus and gave him for us. Father, this love, we rejoice that you have poured into our hearts by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that this weekend, as we think together about this love, that you would soften our hearts, that we would, we would have a, a deeper zeal for, to know more of this love, to, to be delighting in it, to be transfixed by it, to be overwhelmed by it, that we would not be satisfied until we know more of this love. Give us that longing, we pray, Lord Jesus, by your spirit at work in us. Thank you that you can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Thank you for the power that is at work by your spirit to do this in us. Please, we pray, would we know this love? For we ask it in his name. Amen.